Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know when people say, I'm sat on a beach after a week and I'm just bored, I've never felt that, mate. I've never experienced that. The one thing I need to get, because we're only there for two days, is this nut down with Santa. It sort of has to happen because that's the crunks of the edit. I've got this picture that my cameraman, John Dalton, took. I'm in a queue waiting to meet the real Santa. And it's literally like three-year-old, two-year-old, two-year-old baby. Me dressed as Frankie Fry with a wig on, the blonde highlights, the pink T-shirt, sleeping on a lilo in a two-star hotel. I mean, great memories. Next thing I know, I'm standing in a queue going into the Coliseum. I had my mum in tears saying she might not be able to come on holiday. No idea what I'm doing with the engagement. We're going through a metal detector with about a no. thousand people with a ring that I'm about to propose to Alex. I'm always one that if, if, you, if you've been to somewhere nice, great, but try and experience somewhere else because there is so much to see out there. Hello, Smithy. Thanks for joining me on the first ever episode of the Travel Talks podcast. Firstly, how are you? I'm very good, mate. Strange times, obviously, uh, but I'm honoured to be the first person. What, 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 who else dropped out for me to be the first person? No <laughs> one, mate. Who else could I have had? Rocket couldn't make it, though. No? <laughs> <laughs> I firstly wanted to start by giving a bit of context about how you know each other, how long yeah. we've known each other. So we've been working together for, what, five years now? That's what Yeah, I about five years. Together. Yeah, my, my career at Sky, I've been at Sky, uh, I think about 13 years I've been at Sky now. So obviously I used to work on Soccer M, the TV show, uh, for many years. Great memories working on the show, did a lot, lot, lot of roles, a lot of bits and pieces. Uh, and then Sky launched online, basically, about four or five years ago, as you, as you quite rightly said. I think you went for one of the producer's role, I went for the presenter's role. Um, amongst other a lot of other people fortunately got it and then we've been working quite closely since and then since then uh it's, it's, it's gone very well um and I, i've been working on a on an array of other things at sky on the debates on um saturday social so I, I don't work with you as closely because i do sort of varied roles within there and i do other bits with talk sport and tottenham it's been very fortunate to do and work with a lot of passions of mine really but yeah been working and, and had the privilege of knowing you for about five years now M dog yeah, that's what I've got written down here, mate. The privilege, the honour of working alongside ah. you. In our work, we've been lucky enough to kind of travel around a bit. And I've got yeah. France and Burnley written down. The two polar opposites, perhaps. Driving around the whole of France and then yeah. taking trains up to snowy Burnley. So I wanted to ask you firstly, how important is travel to you? Um, it's a good question, that. And it's, um, it, I look at it in two aspects of it because I've obviously been very lucky to have traveled uh, i always like spending like disposable income or spare time and money i think travel is probably 
family and travel, family first. I'll always, you know, want to want to catch up with family and friends and stuff. And then I think the next most important thing and, and the thing that I've taken a lot of memories, really fond childhood memories, memories of going away with friends, memories of going to sporting events with my wife now. Uh, a lot of stories that, that we reflect upon are from travel. So I, I love going on holidays. I love going to different parts of the world. I'm massively one of these people that when I've been somewhere, no matter how much I like it, I'd like to experience something else. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm not one of these people. I, I, fair enough, if people want to go to the same place, if they like it and they, and they, they have the creature comforts, so I can understand that. But it, there's so much to experience and explore out there. I like, you know, being able to say I've been here, I've been there and everything. So certainly holiday-wise, I absolutely love going away. But then also with my work as well, because um, of the, the job that I do, I sort of present a lot of the player interviews for Sky. Um, I, I travel all the time with work as well. And I had a bit of a reflective moment actually there, mate. It's interesting that you mentioned Burnley because the Burnley shoot, we went up to interview Chris Wood and Dwight McNeil, um, two really lovely lads as it happened, two, two guys I've, I've been in contact with since uh, through social media. Um, but the, the Burnley shoot was at a time when we were going through all the storms and it was quite... Um, well, unsafe, a lot of people were saying, to travel. Uh, I'd also basically gone to a spa weekend with uh, my wife. And uh, the way to go to Burnley, we had to go up the night before, which was the day I was at the spa. And Burnley was a five and a half hour train ride. And I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. I was thinking I was sat in the spa with my wife and I had to leave about an hour early in order to get a train in these stormy conditions. I say a train, it was about three trains to get up to Burnley and it took six hours. And I was a bit like, oh, I can't believe I've got to go up to Burnley. It's, it's two degrees, it's windy. I've cut short the spa. It wasn't until we came into isolation, mate, that I realised how lucky and fortunate I am and how much I love my job. And I actually said to Alex, my wife, uh, two weeks into isolation, I actually turned and said to her, I'd do anything to get on a train to Burnley right now. And we had a, we had a laugh about it because it was like, it, it, it was nothing against Burnley or the people of Burnley. And it, it was a great shoot, but it was just the fact that it was six hours, it was a storm and it was off the back of a spa. And it wasn't until I was in isolation and you cooped up for seven weeks, you know, and you completed Netflix and Premier League years on Sky, that you think, oh, I'd, what I'd do to go back to Burnley, mate. <laughs> so we mentioned this before we came on air, that away days was a big part of your life, how you got into TV. And yeah. you've got so many anecdotes about away days. Every time a city in England's mentioned, you've got a story and person you've met, yeah. a, an interesting fact about the city. Is there a particularly amazing story which you could tell us about away days? Uh, there are so many, mate. I mean, I'm quite good on a sports pub, a football pub quiz round because I just know so many random facts about like the singing ringing tree in Burnley, for instance, the, you know, the shortest bit of gouge railways in Basingstoke. Uh, there's a chair museum in Wickham. I know so many random, random facts, but you know, Brentford's the only, the only, um, ground to have a pub on all corners at the time of recording uh ye old trip to jerusalem in nottingham is the oldest pub that was established like i've been to it, do you know what? so many random locations the one that stands out to me mate is at lapland i got very fortunate that during the height of away days i think i did it for four or five years so i went to a lot of football clubs i actually there was a lot of one of these social media sort of quizzes that went around recently that said tick how many grounds you've been to and i think there was only four stadiums from the Premier League to League 2 that I hadn't visited. My mates pointed out that it's sort of cheating that I didn't actually watch a single game at half of them, which is actually <laughs> a valid, valid point. And I went with work, so it's a bit different. Um, but the one that stood out was um, I went to Lapland. It was a time when Away Days was doing quite well on the show. And my boss said, right, we've got to do something Christmas related. Can you do a bit of research and see if there's anything, any clubs sort of foot, 
you know, Christmas related. And I, I did a bit of research and found out that in Lapland, which is obviously the home of Christmas, there is a team called FC Santa Claus. Um, and I was like, this is brilliant. They literally play in the heart of Lapland where, you know, kids and families go to meet Santa and see the elves and, and, and everything like that. So I, I contacted the club and anyway, it, it was managed to sort it out, went out to Lapland and mate, it was just the most incredible experience, but weird experience as well. Highlighted by the fact that we went into, there's an elf factory in Lapland where you go and it's just full of elves. Um, and obviously it, it's an amazing museum because you get to see a bit of Christmas, but it, basically there's loads of elves walking around. The best way I can describe it is just like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory when you see all the Oompa Loompas walking around. So you've got all these small individuals dressed as elves that are just walking around this museum that's just full of Christmas. And it's like, mate, for kids, it is amazing, by the way. Mm. I mean, I must have been, I must have been like 27 at the time. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm walking around and this one elf, on it, I, he's, he's quite a small individual. He, um, he taps to me on, on my sort of shoulder and goes, Soccer M. And I went, pardon? <laughs> I'm like, he goes, this is Soccer M thing, isn't it? I went, can I just ask, I'm dressed as Frankie Fryer, the wigs, the jewellery and the, and the Mac on it. Can I ask how on earth you know about Soccer M? And he went, well, basically, mate, it's a bit of a funny story. I'm English, as you can tell from my accent. And he went, I met a girl um, at university and we, we fell in love. Uh, and obviously, we were living together at university, but she lives here. I think she's from Finland or from Helsinki. Um, and she went, we had a difficult choice to make. Either she moved back over here to Lapland, uh, where her family's from, and I go back to, uh, I think, London, where he was from, and we have to have a long-distance relationship. Or I change my job, and I come over here. So after long discussions, I decided to jack in my job as an accountant uh, to be with my now wife and work as an elf. So basically, this guy, wow. who knows so Krem, basically had the, the decision to make, either do a long-distance relationship, he does his job in accountancy, she comes back to Lapland. I think, I think one of her parents is in Helsinki, one was in Lapland, but she, she resides in Lapland. Or quit his job in, in accountancy and become an elf. So I'd just like to say that is real love that this guy, but you can just imagine it. I'm standing there and, and, and this guy just literally tapping me on my shoulder, dressed as an elf with Santa in the background. Uh, and it was just like, wow. So that is, that is the story of him, basically, what he'd do for love, giving up a job as an accountant to become an elf. And he was very happy with himself, mate. So I had a really long chat with him. Uh, so that, that's that. one that stood out, I think, because it's quite, quite bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Love that story. <laughs> the, the other thing about that trip was getting, so we used to get um, a famous celebrity or, or footballer or whoever to do, do the nut down. It was like a catchphrase, time to keep my nut down. Ushwich sort of grew and grew. We had Danny Dyer do it, Hulk Hogan, uh, Deco, Keith Lemon, um, Barry Hearn, like Joe Hart. We had a Chris Tarrant, some really, really good names. Chris Tarrant did the Reading one, actually. I know that you're a big Reading fan. <laughs> um, so we, got, we got to Lapland. I was thinking, I've got to, got to get it with Santa. Um, got to get it done with Santa, obviously. Um, so anyway, so I'm walking down this really snowy, freezing, like, it's not really a town centre, but the epicentre of Lapland. And I've said to this guy, Yuhu was his name, lovely guy. He sorted out everything for us when we got to Lapland. So I was riding sleighs. I was, I was doing reindeer pulling, I'm meeting the elves, I was going to museums, went to the post office, all the letters delivered. He literally had the place on lockdown for us so that we could film at all of these locations. Because obviously it was, it was good promotion for them as well, three weeks before Christmas. Um, so it, it, brilliant guy. Um, and I said, look, the one thing I need to get, because we're only there for two days, is this nut down with Santa. It sort of has to happen because that's the crunk of the edit. Everything else within away days, if I got to a museum or I didn't, it wasn't the end of the world because I'd always cut it down anyway. But if you didn't get the nut down link, it was like, 
the, the point at which people used to look forward to. And my boss would say, well, you, you have to, that's a, a crucial part of the VT. And it was, it was the day I was flying home and I hadn't got it. So I was like, look, do you know when we can see Santa? And he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'll sort it out. He's very chilled out. Anyway, I was walking in this sort of town center. I was like, look, he's over there. There's Santa. Like, can we, can we go and get the nut down now? The, you know, the, the link. And he went, no, that's not the real Santa. I went, sorry? And he went, you can't come to Lapland and not do it with the real Santa. And I was like, yeah, no, obviously I, I understand that, but there's Santa Claus over there. There's a guy just as Santa. I just needed to say it's time to keep the nut down. It's not really a travel doc, this, as you've probably established at, at, at the minute. You know, I've, I've been doing snow angels in the, in, the, um, in the snow. I've been, you know, I had an elf chuck snow at me. It's quite a light-hearted feature. This Santa will do. No, I will get you the real Santa. So he's, he's 2,000 years old. And I'm like, yeah, no, I understand that. But I, I, anyway, so I couldn't quite, it was like everything is, is as real as it can be there. And, and anyway, so anyway, we went to Santa's Grotto and I had to queue up on it. Mate, it was ridiculous. I'm queuing up alongside this, this girl who must have been three, this family, and, and they've got these presents. So I've got this picture that my cameraman, John Dalton, took. I'm in a queue waiting to meet the real Santa. And it's literally like, three-year-old, two-year-old, two-year-old baby, me dressed as Frankie Fry with a wig on and, and, and uh, all this fake jewellery. And then another like three-year-old, four-year-old, four-year-old. And then I go in, he's like, I'm sitting next to him. He goes, what do you want for uh, Christmas? I'm like, I'm sort of doing this sketch here. And then you who sort of explained it. And mate, I used to, I'm quite good at, um, you know, recording long bits of information and, and, and doing it in one take or a couple of takes. So much so that... Uh, I did it, actually did it live once because people used to ask how I did it. But I'll be honest to say that was the worst I'd ever performed as Frankie Fry because oh, really? it was just, yeah, I had to do about three or four takes because he was like, so what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I'm just filming. And then they said, yeah, they, you can stream it. So my parents actually watched me do it because there's a webcam for Santa's Grotto in Lapland and they were watching me do it. And I was trying to explain to him and then he did it without the oosh. And I said, do you mind saying oosh? What did it mean oosh? I was like, Santa. And I had to address him as Santa and it was... It was the most bizarre, so to the point where I was like, oh, I love that football you got me when I was eight. And he went, I remember it. I'm like, a really in character. <laughs> it was anyway. anyway, so we left. And I remember being on the plane home and I was sat next to John Dalton, a very good cameraman who you know as well, on the way back. And I just started laughing. He went, what are you laughing about? I went, it was very bizarre, that trip, wasn't it? He went, mate, one of the most bizarre trips I've ever been on. But honestly, mate, it was absolutely amazing. I can't encourage people enough to go and experience it. Um, but they're, they're what I love, mate, to be honest, because like I've been to amazing cities with work. Like I love Berlin. I love Germany, love German people, love Berlin. I went to f South of France, um, some really nice cities, but what the, the places that I love that work took me were Lapland. I went to Transylvania to do FC Cluj away days and like places like that, that I think I wouldn't naturally go to, if you know what I mean, like to, to be, to go to places that are very unique is probably what I appreciate more than the other places that I have been with friends and family. Yeah, definitely, man. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so I want to I want to take it like all the way back because I know from speaking to you that uh, you obviously went to university and yeah. that whilst at university you got the opportunity to work for Soccer AM. Yeah, I wondered if you could kind of give a bit of background about how that happened and what it was like being at university and also having that kind of fame around you. Yes, um, so I left college um, and I basically just wanted a year from going to college, from leaving college to going to uni. Um, so I applied for work experience at Sky Sports and I didn't really have a plan. It wasn't like some people take a gap year and they have plans in place. I just wanted to take a year out of education, always wanted to go to uni. So I started doing work experience, uh, what, what, what would I have been, 17 then, um, in the gap between college and uni, but always had the, the place at Loughborough Uni lined up. And then when I got the work experience, I did six weeks unpaid, I think it was just, you know, making teas and stuff and run, office running and uh, working on a few shows. But it was very, you know, just very um bottom end and and but but what i will say about that is it, it was very important as well because it, it did teach me a lot of very good skills and i met a lot of very very nice people and important people and, and it, it, it did keep me very well grounded actually uh that and the fact that it was you know unpaid and i was going in and, and everything around that but then i got offered a job as a runner basically it was three days a week so i think it was wednesday to friday an opportunity came up on soccer M, and this was when tim lovejoy was doing it with helen and and, and fenners and neil and all them were working on it so i got a job as a runner there was a trial basis for a week and it was um it, it was really good actually because then it was like sort of looking through showboats coming up with creative ideas it was the first time it was like chance to be creative uh, lo- lo- logging games uh he- going basic editing stuff like going into an edit software doing layoffs and coming up with you know um helping with feature ideas and costumes and things like that it was a lot of big comedy elements of soccer m back then as well and entertainment side of things um so anyway so i started working on soccer m it seemed to go quite well so i was working part-time on the soccer m during my gap year um and then it got to the point where it was, they had one of these fishes in the office. I don't, remember, don't know if you remember these Elvis fishes. Yeah. Um, like, um, they used to be very popular. On the wooden plank. Exactly, on a wooden plank. Like my grandparents had, and they're very popular with like the sort of older generations. And uh, obviously Elvis is massive. Uh, and uh, they used to sing a song. And they randomly had one in an office for a sketch. And they just said, I walked in and, and Tim went, dance to this. And I was like, 17-year-old kid. I was like, pardon? I literally just 
brought the tees in and then danced. So I was obviously a bit nervous and started dancing to Elvis. And I, I was a bit flexible. And I, for some reason, I did the splits in the middle of the soccer game office because I was really nervous, to be honest with you. And they went, that's quite funny, isn't it? Maybe we should make it do it on the Saturday show. And I went, <laughs> yeah, thinking nothing of it. Anyway, I came in two days later and there was a box with an Elvis costume that just said, Baby Elvis. I went, what's this? He went, oh, this is this dance that you're doing live on Soccer Air as a 17-year-old kid on Saturday. I was like, what? Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I, I started, I think the first one actually, Tell a Lie, was actually just in, I might have just had the Elvis glasses, but just in my normal clothes. Anyway, again, I did these splits and it was just, oh, I, I, I just think people laughed at me more than with me, to be honest. They just thought, who is this idiot? Uh, with blonde highlights. I, I looked about 11 as well, mate, I looked really young for my age. Partic I looked particularly young for my age then. So anyway, next thing I know, that sort of took off. So it was, yeah, I was just, all, all the people on the screen there weren't sort of actors they got in, as you probably could tell by the acting. <laughs> they were just crew members like, you know, uh, Tubes, who, who, you know, has gone on to be very successful and, and, and uh, Rocky and myself and other people. I'm not saying I've gone on to be successful, but... Um, you know, it, it were people that worked on the show. So yeah, it just sort of, it was a weird time really, because then I found myself at 17, I was working on a, re, you know, really cult show. Mm. Soccer M is, is a massive cult show. And, and, you know, back then it was before social media, before there was less channels, there, there wasn't Netflix. So it really was a, 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 its, its pinnacle. Um, and yes, yeah, so it was a weird time. I was, I was 17 years old and I was, I was working as a runner, but then I was appearing on screen and then I got offered the chance to stay on at Sky as, as a sort of office runner. And I had a sort of difficult decision to make really, but I had my place at uni and I deliberated for quite a while, but wanted to go to university because I always wanted to experience that. And I'm glad I did because it, it was, you know, three of the best years of my life going to uni. Uh, but what I did was I didn't work at uni. I kept my foot in the door at Sky and every Christmas, Easter and summer, I'd come back and work as a runner doing sort of running shifts, uh, studio stuff, uh, coming on a few soccer M Saturday days to help out. Uh, it was a really good time, mate. And it was, it was, yeah, it was a year that I look back on very fondly, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was interesting being at uni actually, because a lot of people, mm would watch the show. It, it was a very big, Soccer M was very big amongst university students as well. If you look at the age range and the demographic, I think it probably still is now, to be honest. Because um, it was like the cool football show and it still is, you know, the cool football show that a lot of, a lot of 18-year-olds watch. And it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting actually. Uh, and actually, when I went to uni, I think it was an anniversary of Elvis's death and they were re-releasing, I think he had 17 number ones. They were re-releasing all of his number ones and someone had the idea of me dancing in a different location at uni uh, every single week. So again, that started off like in my bedroom uh, and then it mm. escalated to in the dining hall. Then it was like a lecture theater, but the producer that came up said, right, is there a way that I can ask permissions this, but you don't be involved because for the natural reaction, it'd be a lot funnier if, if students don't know what's coming. So I was like, you are right, but that." <laughs> So it, it wasn't like they'd pick, because I, I did sports science and business management, they'd pick that, um, that lecture that I knew all my mates, and I thought, oh, this would be a laugh. Honestly, mate, I was a fresher, like, again, really young wow. kid, looked about 12 with these stupid blonde highlights. Uh, I looked like an idiot back then, I really did. And they, they'd be like, yeah, there's a, there's a third year um, biology uh, class going on here with 300 people, like really intelligent, much more intelligent than, than, <laughs> than the, the, the degree I was getting, let's have it right. 
So I've gone in, and honestly, this this the, the lecturer, lovely woman, really intelligent, really intelligent people watching 300 biology students who just sat there, and I've bowled in, and I had to put the hi-fi down. It played, I think, blue suede shoes, and I'm just dancing, and I remember vividly there was just one person that I was just just caught my eye, and as I looked up, you know, when it's like most people you expect to go, <laughs> yeah, I just remember yeah. this guy vividly, mate, just looking at me, going, what are you doing? Like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? And I remember walking out and the producer was like, that's brilliant, that's perfect. I was like, was it? Like, if you were yeah. willing to do all this embarrassing stuff to kind of progress your career, that must have ultimately been the, the reason behind it all, surely. I mean, I didn't use the word embarrassing, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Moving in front of a lecture hall of 300 biology students, that sounds to me embarrassing. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I've always been like, attention to detail has always been a big thing for me. Like, I'll, I'll always, I, I think it, it did... It did give me very good grounding skills, actually, all, all of those days and stuff. And I, I, I take that on now. I'm always sort of very much attention to detail and put a lot into what I do. And I think those years of, you know, working, you know, for, for free effectively and, and, and making making the teas and doing all that, it, it did keep me grounded, actually. And it's like, I remember my dad, because my parents both um, worked in um, in the industry, in, in TV. My mum was a presenter, dad was a producer, and, and, and dad worked in the music industry as well. And they both had very successful careers. And I remember the first day that I drove up to Sky, the, the, the advice my dad said, he went, you're going to get starstruck meeting presenters and, and, and seeing Jeff Stelling and seeing people. But he goes, make sure you talk to and treat the security guard who lets you in exactly the same as you talk to and treat the presenter. And it's, it's honestly the best bit of advice I've had going into this industry because um, th th there is a, th there can be a perception that, you know, you, you have to, especially as a young person, that certain people can be more important than others because of obviously the, the success they can go on to achieve. But it's like, there's so many talented people, you know, that work at Sky and people like that. And it, it was so important that everyone is the same. and Everyone is as important as each other. And I just thought it, it, it's mm. re it was really good advice for me. And, you know, I, 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 I took that on board and I, you know, I, I do think that that was very important and something that I, I would passed down to other people that you know whatever happens or whatever if you ever have any success you know never forget where you come from try not to change and always always be yourself really is uh that's a really nice message mate so you said you had a, that gap year between yeah. leaving college and going into university and you did yeah. a work experience as well this is perhaps the time to ask was that when you took your most adventurous holiday or did that come at a later point in your life Interesting point, mate. Um, most adventurous holiday. Do you know what? It wasn't simply because all of my holiday time that I had at uni, I put into working at Sky. So actually, if I think back to then, I did go on my, probably my first lads holiday would have been, that would have been after I graduated. Uh, so that was, oh, mate, look back on that. You think it's the best. Honestly, you think it's the best holiday ever. You, you're in your early 20s and you're going to Magaluf and you're staying in a two-star hotel and your mate has this genius idea when it's two to a room. He goes, we can get three in this room. It will save us 50 quid. Just one of us has to sleep on a lilo, but don't worry, we'll rotate it. And then me and my mate at the time are going, brilliant idea. And you look back on that and, you know, you, you, you go in there and, again, the blonde highlights, the pink T-shirt, sleeping on a lilo in a two-star hotel. I mean, great memories, but, you know, mm. drinking out of the fish bowls that you get and everyone goes, course, yeah. you know, all the straws, so unhealthy. But, you know, I had a great, had a great time. So, that, that, I mean, I, I don't know whether that counts as adventurous. I don't know if you, you were thinking of me going to Machu Picchu or climbing a mountain or something. But at the time, uh, that was mm. quite adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever done that? You mentioned like Machu Picchu. Have you ever done backpacking or going to numerous locations within one set holiday? I'll probably be honest with you and say no. I, I don't want to create a false image and say that I've done adventurous holidays with 
uh, it's like school trips when you go, you know, orienteering and mountaineering and stuff. I've done when I've gone away on uh, lads holiday, we've done like long bike rides or we've done, you know, a lot of trips within the holidays that are quite adventurous. Like I've done um, some, some fairly cool things going to the Grand Canyon and stuff and um, honeymoon. We went like cave exploring. So we had a day where we went through all the caves, which is quite physical and, and things like that. But I wouldn't say I've done an adventurous holiday per se where the whole six days you go and you try and, and, and you experience that, that rush. I'd, I'd love to do like something like a skydive or something that really, really tests you and you get a, a big buzz for, uh, but I, I would be lying to you if I've said I've done a really, really adventurous holiday. But it's, it's something that you've kind of got in your mind to do at some point in your life, perhaps. Yeah. And also, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. We, there's sort of two holidays. I, like. I love going on city breaks where, you just fit as much as you can into sort of a four-day period, do a lot. But I also do love the sort of relaxation ones as well. You know when mm. people say, I'm sat on a beach after a week and I'm just bored? I've never felt that, mate. I've never experienced that. I don't mm. know if it's because um, our work is so sort of full-on that you, you invest a lot into it. And even when you're on a day off, you're on, and, and quite rightly so, because the first thing I want to get in is how lucky we are to work in football and the, the perks mm. that you get. It, it's amazing. That's why I'll always... Even on a day off, you, you know, you, you check your phone or you, you'll have ideas for a shoot if it's coming up the next day. You never really switch off. And I, I think a lot of people, that is a theme that a lot of people in football and in TV do say that they, they, they don't really switch off during days off. Um, so when I do go away, if I'm, if I'm on a beach for a week, I do like to try and switch off. So if I'm on a beach and I've, I've got, you know, podcasting or, you know, listening to a bit of music and I've got a beer in my hand and I'm with mates or I'm with, I'm with my wife. I, I just love sitting there, having a chat, reminiscing, having a laugh. I'm, I'm quite, as you, as you know, I don't take myself too seriously. I'm, I'm quite Im- immature for my age, probably like having a laugh. And I, what I do all the time, mate, I just, the amount of times I've been sat on a beach and I just start laughing and the person goes, what are you laughing at? I was like, oh, something that happened on a stag do three years ago or something <laughs> happened when I was at university. And then I explained the story. My mind was quite weird like that. So I love reminiscing. and I've never once sat on a beach and thought, you know what, I'm bored here. I've never, never had that feeling. You mentioned in that that you like city breaks and kind of cramming as much stuff into, let's say, a 48-hour window as possible. Yeah. Is there one city that you've been to on a city break which like, you hold closer to you? That's a good one, mate. One city... Do you know what I thought was... I, I really like Bruges, actually. Um, I went to Bruges with, with um, the missus, and it... What I liked about that was I think we're quite lucky because there was a it was really nice weather at the time we went. But I love the fact that everything's walking distance, so you can you can do a lot in a, in a in a short space of time. But it was just yeah the culture that it was just really nice. You could horse horse and cart ride. We did. We climbed up the the the, the bell tower. Our hotel was nearby. Really nice bars, restaurants, canal rides. Uh, the weather was nice at the time. Whether that's luck or not, I don't know. But and and the um, I like my seafood there and their, their mussels and a lot of the fish there is very nice. They're obviously famous for their different types of lager and chocolate as well. So you can really, you can indulge in Bruges. And it, it was, it was just everything about it. We went by Eurostar. It was very easy to get to. It was, people were nice. We, we, we did a lot in a short space of time. And do you know the other thing, mate, as well, that, and I get this when I go to the cinema a lot, when someone big something up to you saying it's an amazing film, an amazing city, I always big it up in my mind that, that mm. sometimes I get let down because of the expectation. I spoke to so many people going, I haven't been there, I haven't been there. And I had no expectation going there that mm. it became such a great weekend, if that makes any sort of sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I completely, I completely agree. You said in that that you, you had some seafood. 
And I wanted to mention oh. this because, mate, you love seafood, don't you? Every time oh, we go yeah. away and we go out for a team meal, you always order the uh, lobster linguine or some sort of like <laughs> seafood uh, board. Is there yeah. a particular seafood dish or if not seafood, a particular dish which you've eaten on holiday, which you could just eat and take yourself back there? Oh, mate, I am taking myself back there now. Seafood platter, when you go to me, when you get a seafood platter for two, which I've had, the nicest one I've had, wherever I had this, it's been amazing. I've had it in Croatia, actually, where it was, where it was delicious. But, you know, any, anywhere that's fairly near the sea, you can get a seafood platter. <laughs> uh, when you get a seafood platter for two, and they just put a bit of every type of fish they've caught that day, uh, langoustines, prawns, mussels, sea bass, lobster, you just have a bit of everything. Uh, marinating a bit of garlic or you get a bit of white wine sauce or something that is my dream holiday meal uh, a bit of everything a bit of fish I, I am oh mate even when you said it there I, I, mm. I'm, miss, I'm getting quite emotional I haven't had one in a while actually <laughs> but yes yeah, <laughs> see your eyes light up platter, yeah and we're not going away with you on um, on uh, on trips where, there, where there's expenses and there's usually, we usually get like a per diem and a budget and this <laughs> the seafood platter often falls outside the budget and I'm often like oh, <laughs> I really want it oh, I'll have a I'll have a I'll have a basket of scampi instead then because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's very healthy for me as well because obviously as you know I'm a type 1 diabetic so high carbohydrate meals are I have to be very careful with them mm. so it's so hard mate when I go out to eat because you go out to eat you go to Italian it's pasta or pizza really really bad for me if I have Chinese it, you know you can go to healthy Thai foods but a lot of the sauces they put them in are high in sugar um, Indian food really high in carbs with naan breads and rice and things like that so seafood is something that a i love but also is very healthy for me as well so it ticks every box for me nice i wanted to speak to you if you wouldn't mind about having type 1 diabetes because obviously you've done a lot of charity work and through that you're probably a a real role model to a lot of people from where you've got yourself in the industry and not letting it hold you back at times is traveling with type 1 diabetes difficult perhaps what do you need to consider it's a nightmare, mate. It's um, the, the for as fortunate as I am, and I'm I'm so lucky with with my family, friends, my work. I, you know, I consider myself a very lucky individual. Um, the the, the uh, condition I have is is really tough. If I'm if I'm being honest, I mean, I I got diagnosed. What was it? Five years? When I was 29 when I got diagnosed. Yeah. So about I had it anyway. I've had I've had type one diabetes about five years, and when I got diagnosed, it was it was I was so ill. So your blood sugar should be between about four and six. Uh, for a normal person's blood sugar uh, or non-diabetic um, blood sugar, should I say? Mine was 32. Uh, I got taken to hospital. I was told I was a week away from a coma. Uh, I was on a sliding insulin scale for five days. Um, I had to have uh, my, my my anxiety. I had, I had mental health issues, but it wasn't a sort of mental health issues or depression. Mine was sort of anxiety around the condition, so I couldn't switch off from thinking about it. Uh, that I had severe dizziness, I had to go to hospital, I had a brain scan, I had my inner ears looked at because my balance was affected. And the, the toughest thing was, is that I'd, I'd had a few things, sort of medical things out of me uh, in my life previously where you got into hospital and always, you'd always thought of hospital as you go in, um, you're unwell and then they, they give you, you either have a, an operation or they give you medication and then you leave and you're better. And the big thing psychologically for me is that I remember on the fifth day, the doctor coming in saying, right, you're ready to leave now, thinking, oh, what a relief because I was, I was really ill. And he went, uh, you're a type one diabetic. And I asked uh, three questions, I think it was. I said, um, he goes, you're a type one diabetic. I said, what does that mean? He went, you need to inject yourself. I said, how many times? He went, five times a day. And I said, for how long? And he said, for the rest of your life. And I said, what happens if I don't do that? And he went, well, you, you won't survive. And I was like, wow, that was like such a 
wake up calls. So um, although I've come to terms with it, I massively look at my life in two parts, like pre-diagnosis and post-diagnosis, because my life has completely changed. Um, and the two years after that, I, I was, I, I'm not afraid to admit it, and I probably wasn't brave enough to talk about it at the time, but I had really bad anxiety. Um, you know, I was seeing, I saw a psychologist, I saw a nutritionist, um, <clears throat> had such bad dizziness that I was convinced there was something up with my, with my brain because I, I was, I was so dizzy and had vertigo that I, I had a brain scan. I had to have my balance looked at. I, I was felt sick. You know, I, I, I just wasn't right. And, and particularly mentally, actually, I actually started coping with it physically and, 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 you know, insulin and all that. And all the things people think are bad with it, like putting a needle in you. I've never had any problem with that. And I don't want to speak on behalf of every diabetic, but most diabetics I speak to, the actual art of injecting, because you do it into a bit of fat. So it's not like when you have a blood test and they have to inject into a vein and it's, it's obviously quite uncomfortable. The actual art of injecting, I mean, I, I could inject as many times as I had to. It, it's not the things that people perceive to be the issue. It, it's more the day-to-day -day management that is just so full on so i was re i had a really bad two years i'd say mentally um I, I, two really bad nights actually where i credit my family and and, and wife and, and friends for getting me through that because uh, I, I was in a very very dark place I, I actually start i remember when i put the post on social media i started i was crying for about two hours because i had thousands of messages and so many for, i never forget one from a dad who said he, he had a he had a six-year-old son and i'm like having it as a kid must be so tough and saying he's really struggled he'd been bullied at school um he's really struggling with it he's lost weight and he said that he, he's he's a big um he was he's a, a football fan knows who i am and he read my message and he said he's, he's made him feel so happy and i, I always remember that and it's like it, a lot of messages from parents of kids and stuff that, that really resonated with me and that's why I try and do a lot more because I, I just want to help other people that, that are suffering from it really and it's a condition where and I don't expect people to know a lot about it because if I'm being honest um, I, I didn't know a lot about it before I had it but in answer to your question about travel it is a massive ball lake I have to take needles mm. I have to take uh, insulin pens I have to take lancet strips I have to take my freestyle Libra I have to take um, sugar with me I mean I it, Whenever I get any anything comes up in my life, my first thought is, what am I doing with my diabetes? Like, if if a, a shoot time, if I'm traveling on a train, if I'm not now, obviously because of the isolation, but anything anything to do with travel, my first thought is, when am I eating? How am I eating? What what am I taking with me? You know, where am I storing my insulin? Because it has to be stored at a certain temperature. Am I allowed my call bag? And I have had some some pretty bad experiences, mate. To be honest, with travel mm. because of it. What what one sticks out to you is is the worst. Well, just I'll I tell you one that sticks out, and it and it and it, it really it it frustrates me a lot. If I'm being honest with you, is is quite recently when I came back on a flight, uh, and it was a, it was a shoot with work, and it was only a two day shoot, so I only had hand luggage. Um, and in my hand luggage was my insulin, my med, my um, emergency sugar that I need, my lancet strips, all, all my diabetes stuff really. And the um, uh, the lady who was working for the airline uh, said, "You have to check. You have to check this in on, on, in the hold." And I said, um, "Sorry, I, I've spoken to a colleague of yours. This, this is a, the size for hand. It's it's a tiny suitcase that's suitable for hand luggage. So I didn't I didn't understand why there was an issue in the first place, but I think it was probably because I was one of the last on the plane, maybe. So I can sort of understand her thinking with that." But when I explained that all my medications in there and I didn't have another bag, she was like, well, no, I don't care. It has to go in the hold. And I, I'm not going to name the airline. And I didn't send an, an, an email. I didn't send a body. I'm not going to name the, the person's name. I, I actually don't know her name. Because I, I don't like people who try and go out of their way to cause trouble or, or have a go at people like that. But 
on when I said um, I've got my medication in there, I, I need this with me for a three hour flight, three and a half hour flight. Um, and she was like, well, no, you, you have to put it there. I was like, wow. I just thought for, for, for the lack of understanding around the condition it, it is frustrating for me, but it's something I can understand to a degree because I, I, unless you have it, you wouldn't understand it. But it, I was really upset that flight home, if I'm being honest. Um, mm. And it wasn't until a colleague of mine at work actually spoke to, to the uh, flight attendant and, and her colleague um, that allowed me to take my bag on. And that was a frustrating thing. There was room for the bag because it just went mm. in the hole. So I didn't really understand what the issue was. But yeah, there are a lot of issues with it. When I go on holiday, it's, you know, I have to eat at certain times. So going out for dinner can be tricky if you're, you're waiting for the starter or the main because your bloods can go low. Um, having your insulin on you in a cool bag, taking it out, having a, you know, I have a man bag that I have to take with me with all my stuff on. It is, it is so full on mate i have to say mm. like so full on but you know it's it's made me stronger as a person a hundred percent and um looking back on that time in my life you know it, it has made me a stronger person so yeah, I, I do think i'm very much one of these people that tries to look at positives in everything i do and i do think that that you have to look at the positives and there's a lot worse going on in the world and uh, you know i'm very lucky in a lot of other ways is, is how i look at it i wanted to ask you um you spoke previously about your family and how you've been on holiday with your family and also your engagement and i know yeah. the story behind your engagement oh, mate. is there a particular holiday that means the most to you I, I think so basically the quick i'll try and do this quick story as much as possible i, I went on a holiday to rome and croatia my family this was recently a year and a bit ago family had booked a villa in croatia me and my wife, or my, not my wife at the time, but my girlfriend, were going to Rome for five days. Uh, incidentally, my brother and his now wife went to Dubrovnik for a few days. Uh, and then we all did sort of little things. But then we all met in Croatia for this family holiday at the end. So we did sort of a bit of time with my wife, then met the family. My plan was to propose on this holiday because I thought it'd be, it'd be brilliant. Um, all my family there to celebrate afterwards. And afterwards, we were going back to see Alex's family the next day. So it was like perfect, perfect scenario. Anyway... The day that I'm going to Rome is the day that my mum and dad are going to Croatia. My dad, as he's checking in my mum and my dad, as he's checking in him and my mum, have the two passports in his um, left breast pocket, drops the passport onto the conveyor belt at an airport, which I've never seen before, <laughs> lost the passports. When he goes to check in, they said, where's your passport? He goes, I don't know. Anyway, they, they spent two hours with the help of airport security at Gatwick, who my dad says were phenomenal, by the way. Mm. Two hours. They managed to track the one of the passports down on cctv um that was just randomly on one of the conveyor belts that, that went that was you know a long way away from where the point at which they'd lost it yeah. they managed to find one of the passports now you wouldn't believe this they found my dad's passport now my dad was in the doghouse at this point so he's thinking please be sally's passport they went we found your passport mike but there is no sign of sally's and we've searched cctv for two hours so anyway they've found my dad's and my mum. so anyway they've got a decision to make my mum's just said look you just go because there's no advantage to you staying and us losing even more money on two flights. You might as well go. I'll stay home. We, 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 were, we were still in communication. So my dad decided to go. My dad then checked in the wrong suitcase. Cause you know, when you go away with one person, usually one of you, like my dad would be the heavy man. He was being you know nice and lifting both the suitcases on. Mm. So just check in too. So anyway, he's checked in my mum's suitcase under his name. So my dad, who's on medic medication, not only is he, is he gone to Croatia, he's left my mum behind because he's lost her passport 
and he's left all of his medication in his suitcase and gone away with my mum's, you know, bikinis and outfits and got no clothes. So it's just a complete disaster. Anyway, I've thought this. So I'm due to propose to Alex the next day in Rome, right? My mum's rang me like really upset, but trying not to be upset, saying, don't let it ruin your, your thingy. I've just come back. I've had a call from the embassy. There's a chance I might not be able to come because there is a seven-day uh, waiting list to get my passport renewed and I, I might not be able to come. So I'm then thinking, and I can hear the sort of tears in her eyes, but saying, she's saying, please don't let me affect your engagement. But then put yourself in mm. my shoes. I can't then go and get proposed and then go to Croatia with my whole family and not my mum. My dad's saying, to be honest, I'm probably going to leave anyway to go back to your mum because I feel so guilty. So then I'm mm. thinking, well, my parents aren't there. Alex is oblivious to all of this that I'm proposing. At the same day, we've, I've got the ring in stupidly, mate. I've got the ring in this man bag that I've got. We've <laughs> gone to get gone to this really nice restaurant. And this guy's come around and said, do you want to do this tour of the Coliseum? Uh, there's a slot opening in half an hour. And I'm thinking, no, not, not today. Because <laughs> I've, I've got the ring on me. Alex has gone, go on, we've got to do it. This Italian bloke, mate, was unbelievably persuasive. Next thing I know, I'm standing in a queue, going into the Coliseum. I had my mum in tears saying she might not be able to come on holiday. No idea what I'm doing with the engagement. We're going through a metal detector with about a no. thousand people with a ring that I'm about to propose to Alex, who incidentally, by the way, I was always going to propose to her in, in a quiet location with no one else around because she would have hated it if I'd done it in a group of people. So where am I at this point? I'm at one of the most famous landmarks in the world, honestly, with about a thousand people. The geezer's then given me a headset for everyone to go, this is how we communicate. So I'm going up to him going, I've got a ring in here. And there's a metro detector going, I can't hear you. And I can hear him talking through the headset. I'm going, oh my God, I'm, I'm absolutely screwed. I, I, this is one of the biggest days of my life. And I've bodged this up royally. Anyway, so I then had this genius idea to go, Alex said, oh, this queue's quicker. I said, no, it's not. This queue's definitely quicker. And anyway, I've managed to persuade him to go, well, let's, let's have a little race then, see who's, who's right, which is quicker. So we've yeah, basically yeah. gone in two separate queues that come out the other side. I've gone to this metal detector. The guy said, can I look in your bag? And I've basically gone, is that really? There's a ring. Please don't say anything. Like properly, like you know when you're like voices yeah. breaking and you're talking. There's a ring in the bag. Please don't say <laughs> it. Anyway, so anyway, I've managed to get through. Gone to the Coliseum, and the, the tour guide knows about it. So then I've got thought I've got through the rest of it, and then he keeps like winking at me, going, "It's beautiful. It's romantic." And I'm like, "Mate, I'm not proposing no. in the Coliseum. You've got to get the head." Anyway. So it was so stressful. Came out of the Coliseum, got through that. Uh, and then I'm thinking, I, 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 what am I going to do here? Anyway, uh, because my dad's medication was left at home and um, it, it was quite an urgent medical thing, my mum managed to get uh, an, uh, an urgent passport renewal. So she, she did lose about four or five days of the holiday, but she got out to Croatia. I went to Croatia. We all got there. And then the next day, me and Alex went for a meal on our own. The sun was setting. I had a load of photos out from all our memories. Proposed to her, just as us two on this beautiful setting as, as, the, as the sun was setting with a load of photos from down the years that I put in like a heart shape from down the stairs. Uh, everyone was there. My mum was there. And then the next day, uh, it was really nice actually, because the next day was quite overcast. So we just sat outside, drank, celebrated and told stories mm. and, and laughed so much because of the passport. And it, it was amazing. In hindsight, it was absolutely brilliant. But at the time, it was proper stressful. So Yeah, that sounds yeah, that, that, that stressful and amazing. Croatia has a special place in my heart, mate. A really special place in my heart. I can totally understand that. That's a <laughs> funny story and it sounds stressful. Obviously, it's got an amazing happy ending. Yeah. Is there an experience you've had on travel which you'd classify as your worst travel experience? 
Oh, I'll tell you a recent one, mate. So I went out to Madrid for the Champions League final. Um, uh, amazing, amazing week, actually. I was working for Spurs, um, presenting their sort of social media coverage in the build-up to the event. So very lucky again, um, staying with a lot of the players who I got to know quite well. And it was amazing, 30 degrees in Madrid, brilliant experience. But um, because, because I'd already planned to go with a few of my mates, we were going to stay in the south of Spain just because it was so expensive getting to Madrid. And because Liverpool qualified the night before, Liverpool took a lot of the accommodation in Madrid. So a lot, there wasn't many places for Spurs fans to stay. So everyone stayed outside. So um, for the help of my parents, we were staying in uh, the south in Mercia, which is a six-hour drive from, from Madrid. So wow. basically what happened is I went out on the Monday, did all the weeks travelling, then all my mates came out on the day of the game. I'd finished working for the club at like two, three, because it was all pre-recorded, so it was amazing. So by about three, I'd left the hotel with the players and the club. It was, it was brilliant. I went and met my friends. I uh, had a few drinks and watched the game. And then I wanted to, because I hadn't seen my friends much, rather than stay in Madrid, I, I decided that I wanted to go back to the south, where my south of uh, Spain, where I originally agreed to be with my mates, uh, and then fly back with them because I wanted to spend a bit, bit of time with them, and I, I felt a bit bad just, you know, staying in a in a really nice hotel in Madrid if they were they were going back. So we had found a bus that was uh, transporting uh, people to Madrid from Mercia, which was six hours. So the, the the best way for us to get back and the cheapest way, it was like fifty euros. Amazing, really, was there was a bus leaving at half twelve at night, the night of the Champions League final, to get back to Mercia. Anyway, mate. So obviously, what happens is Spurs lose. We get back to the coach, and oh, mate, it was just the coach. We we have to wait. The Spurs. It's half and half. Spurs and Liverpool. I have no. to say, everyone got on really well, actually, considering. So we have to wait half an hour because obviously the losing team in a cup final get let out a lot earlier because of the trophy lift. So we're waiting half an hour. It's about one in the morning. I'm absolutely knackered at this point and gutted as well. I'm not, not going to mm. mix my words. Absolutely gutted that, that we lost the Champions League final. Um, you're waiting half an hour for the Liverpool fans to get on the coach. Then Liverpool fans come on uh, and I've not met any of them because I've been in Madrid previously. And they go, right, we'll have a good sing song on the way back, won't oh. we? You know, get on the coach. The coach is being ran by um, an English guy who'd gone to live in uh, Spain who works as a part-time Elvis impersonator. So, mate, I'm literally sat on this coach at half 12 in the morning while people are singing We've Won It Six Times. Me and my mate Gertie and Charlie just sat there listening to Liverpool fans singing for six hours six hours behind me while, while a guy singing Elvis as an Elvis impersonator driving the coach in front of me. And it was just the longest night ever, mate. And we had to stop. I remember we had to stop for a toilet break and, and the guy who ran the coach, Nigel's name was, had stopped off and he, at a petrol station. He had a jukebox and he was, he was playing an Elvis song. I was like, Nigel, can we, do you mind if we just uh. get back on the coach? Mate? And then they're singing the Liverpool songs. It, mate, it was such a long journey back. But... Uh, yeah, it's, that, that's football for you, mate, I suppose. The next one is, what is your dream destination? Is there a Whoa. holiday that you've had in mind to do for a while but never got around to doing? Or one place that tops your bucket list? Oh, one place top my bucket list. Um, I would like to go to Vietnam. I've done Thailand. I'd like to go to Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos. I would mm. very much like to do that. And I'd like to do South America because for... I'm very lucky to have been well traveled. I've been a lot of places in America. I've been all over all over Europe, actually, to be honest. Um, done the Middle East, as I said, Thailand. I've, I've done a lot of done Africa. Uh, I've never done South America. And I don't know why. My family actually went on a holiday to Brazil uh, without me. And it was a time when I was quite young and I was starting at Sky and I didn't want to take time off because it was just sort of progressing my career and they went to Rio and basically they always wind me up by saying that's the best <laughs> family ever 
probably because I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they always and they always do they do show me photos of Brazil and stuff, and I'd love to go to Argentina and all sorts, mate. Really, Peru, Costa Rica, Colombia. There's a lot. There's a lot of places that I'd like to do in South America, but there isn't really a like. I want to do this this place. I want to do that. Different reasons, really. Mm. Um, I'd like to do the Northern Lights. Definitely like to do that sort of Christmas time. It, that's sort of one of those bucket list things. It's nice to mm. say you've done, which I haven't done. So I'd like to do the Northern Lights. A romantic beach because I love a beach. I'd love to do Maldives, but I'm because there's yeah. not a lot there. But it's just sort of a ultimate relaxation. I'd like to do Maldives. Um, you, you love your re- relaxation. You could just sit back for a week or two. Um, and then, yeah, South, South America's probably South America or Vietnam would probably be my next best place to do. Maldives would be the next beach place I'd like to do. Uh, and Northern Lights would be sort of the city break near a Christmas thing I'd like to do. But obviously, I mean, the, the, the thing is now, mate, is that I, I haven't even thought about travel holidays because mm. it's it's so far from my mind at the minute because we don't know when we're coming out of this really so yeah i was i was going to ask you about how coronavirus is kind of affecting your mentality towards travel are you at the moment thinking about travel and longing for it to return or is it just at the back of your mind at the moment the thing is mate is i don't really know because you read so much that you don't really i'm not a health expert or anything like that. you you don't really know when it's going to be safe to travel i mean i'm certainly not going to be going away anytime soon. I, I, I probably will be more cautious at the cautious end of the spectrum just because, you know, health and stuff is, is without doubt the most important thing. But then having said that, I'd be lying if I, oh, I mean, the, the thought of a holiday obviously is, 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 is very much at the, at the forefront of my mind, but I, I'm very much realistic to think that it will be a long way away. I don't think we're going to be traveling long distances for, for months, mate, to be honest. And, mm. I, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be a long way away. But yeah, I, I would. I mean, yeah, you, you do you do take it for granted, don't you? Where the situation we're at. I mean, I remember being on a holiday once, chatting to this uh, American couple, uh, and them saying to me, uh, "We I was in uh, a Dominican Republic, I believe, and I remember them saying to us, we've been to uh, seven Caribbean islands, but we've never been to Europe because of the location.' They were saying that they're based in America, and they're saying it's such a you know, an, an easier destination. I, mean, I just thought, I don't get me wrong, I love the Caribbean, but it just makes me think we're so lucky where we're situated that we can be on a flight two hours to Italy, two hours to France, an hour and a half to Germany, or, you know, I might have got some of those times wrong, but you know what I mean? <laughs> we're, we're so lucky that we, we can go anywhere in Europe for so quickly. And I, I just thought that was amazing. And this couple had never been to Europe, but done yeah. so many Caribbean islands. <laughs> it's very strange. So to summarise, travel has played a massive part in your life, both in work and in your personal life. So mm. it's been amazing, mate, hearing all of your stories, hearing about how you got into the industry and all the all the travel stories you've had along the way. So thank you very much for joining Enjoyed me on this it, first episode, mate. How did I get on? What are you expecting for this first episode? Really good, mate. I've, I've really enjoyed it. So hopefully the people who listen to it do as well. I do. I've done a lucky to have done a lot of sporting events abroad as well. And I think of, um, I did the world cup in South Africa. I did the euros with you in France in 2016. Um, I, I, I went to Hay Klitschko, uh, in Hamburg. That was amazing. Actually, that fight, mm. um, the fight wasn't, but the atmosphere around it was, I, I, I went to game seven, uh, NBA game seven finals, Miami heat against LA Lakers in Miami. Uh, I've seen Spurs in a champions league final semi final. So I've, I've sports played a big factor in my travel as well. And I've loved that. And I've, the thing about travel for me is that I've experienced it in so many ways. I've done a lot of sort of lads holidays and stag do's and things like that. And then I've done some really nice family holidays and holidays with my wife. I've also traveled through work. I've traveled through sports. So the, the, the big thing that I say about travel is that it, it's, it, 
experience as much as you can because I've I've got such a varied experience of travel from staying in a two star in Magaluf with my friends mm. to going to a lovely Caribbean island to you know watching your team win in Amsterdam in, in a Champions League semi final to you know su- such a to, to being in Florida with your family that, that the thing that I take from it is that the, the best thing I take from travel is the variety that you, you can experience and I'm always one that if, if you if you've been to somewhere nice great but try and experience somewhere else because there is so much to see out there. So there we go. That was the first ever episode of the Travel Talks podcast. Thanks again to Smithy for joining me on it. It was amazing talking to you about all of your travel memories. If you enjoyed it too, then make sure to go to your podcast platform, whatever you're listening to this on, and give it a five-star review. And let me know who you want me to speak to next as well. Thanks for joining me, guys, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.